message as short as your drive to work. TheSpeakingDeacon.com Good morning, Father. Again, get me out of your way that your truths would be lifted up, that through the power of the Holy Spirit we would understand and obey. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. So I'm about to go somewhere where most ministers have not gone. And when I search for this particular answer online, I have always come up frustrated where most ministers refuse to go where we're about to go today. So I'm going to ask you to do a few things. One is don't take it personal. Two, where you shouldn't take it personal. The scripture is always personal. Um, But if you don't like it, it's not the official um, stance of the church. It's me chasing truth through scriptures, exploring, digging around like a crazy professor, and then bringing it in, showing you what I got. Okay? So you don't have to say, oh, no, Jeff's teaching this. Um, I'm giving you scripture for where, where I think this is coming from, what this is all about. It's going to be backed up with scripture, but you don't have to own it. All right? But I want, I want you to chew on it. Remember, meditate on God's Word means to actually think about it. Grab Bible verses. I, I left room for notes on your bulletin. Um, and the conclusion is always the same anyway. That we need to repent, turn to Christ, and trust in Him. The conclusion is always the same. So, with that said, this to me is very exciting. I've been chasing this where does evil come from for many years? Uh, and to me, it's exciting because ultimately, God gets all the power. God gets all the glory. God gets it all. And if you're heading in that direction, you're on the right path. So here we go. Where did evil come from? Now, technically speaking, this is under the, the uh, discipline of harmatology, which is the study of sin, study of evil, right? It's all kind of bulked in it. They connect to each other. Now, you all have a theology. You all have a systematic theology. Everyone in this room does. If I was to ask you, um, where does sin come from? Every one of you would have an answer of some kind. That would be under the systematic category of harmatology. You all have it. If I was to ask you, how does a person be saved? You would all have a uh, theology, right, on salvation, or soteriology is the fancy word for it, but you would all be able to say something about it. You all have these categories in your head. So what we're going to do is I'm going to try to fill more in on the sin category, okay? Where did evil come from? How did the devil fall? How can God make everything yet not be to blame for the evil? And if you know all your atheist friends and all the people who don't like God, they call it the problem of evil, remember? And they're like, if God's so loving, why did he make evil? Why is there bad in the world? Why is there earthquakes and famines? What a loving God you have, right? And they they think they're trying to position themselves as smarter than God, or holier than God, or even more just than God. But, how can God be God, and yet there be bad in creation? So, where did evil come from, and how did the devil fall? And it's this one, where I'm going to go into the realm where most ministers dare not tread. Ministers. 
right. But first, we've got to remind you what we talked about last week. Last, ta- last week, we explored a few cons- biblical truths. One is evil is not a thing. Okay? There isn't a yin-yang out there, the balance of right and wrong, and evil is the opposite of good, and they're forever in an eternal struggle and combat in the universe, and they must remain in equal power for the universe to remain in place. That's a lie. That's not true. Uh, evil is not a thing, and evil is not an ability. Evil is the corruption of what is good. God made the apple, and then the curse came along. Can you have an apple without corrosion? Yes, you can. Can you have corrosion without an apple? No. There's your evil, there is good. Good needs evil. I mean, evil needs good to even exist. Good does not need evil to exist. God is not hoping evil's always around so he can stay. You understand? There is no balance of power. God is, and evil is a slight corruption that will one day be flicked off. Okay? There is no power in evil. There is no ability in evil. Which apple can do more? The apple that can't rot or the apple that can rot? Which apple can do more? All right? We already know that is not doing. That is undoing. That's When an apple is rot, it's not just rotting, it's breaking down like our cars, right? Like our bodies. They're not becoming an apple into a new apple, right? We some, and the law, scientists call this the law of entropy. The universe is cooling off. The universe is breaking down, all right? Right? We had prayer requests because people were getting sick. Not because they were getting better. You didn't, you know, I'll just leave it there. So I want to just spend, I want to challenge that thinking. And of course, God's irrefutable characters, some of them, God is good. (coughs) We so, I, I almost don't like saying this because we interpret it so small. To say God is good, meaning God is Good. It's not just his character, it's what he is. He is the essence of good, and the definition of good is God. Alright? That means he's just. That means he's fair. And those are all synonymous words. And it's actually his fairness is what we don't like about him. His goodness, his justice. Because that actually goes against our sinful nature. But God is immutable. Meaning he does not change. All right? And I had to build this last week so you know that God cannot do quote unquote evil because one, evil's not an ability. God doesn't change. He's good. He's eternal. And he's holy. He is not of the earth. He is not relying on the earth or creation. He's above and beyond it. He made it all. He sustains it all. And he is far removed from the nonsense of his creation when it comes to his holiness. All right? These things are solid. No one can say, yeah, but, to that. All right? So I want to remind you of those. This week... Here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's where our hearts are going to be threatened. And if our heart feels threatened in this time, it's because in there we're covering some evil up and we're going, no way, God, this is mine. All right? And this is exactly where we're going today. Um, 
So hold on. I want you to be honest with your heart, even if you don't like it. Just chew on it and spit it out later, okay? That's all I'm asking. One, all creation is obligated, indebted to its creator. This is the the laws of the universe. All creation is obligated, indebted to its creator. By its very nature, remember, uh, when we say creation or we say creature, okay, creature implies what? The very definition of the word creature implies it's created by a creator. Okay? It's, it's, the, the meaning is in the words. And if we're created by our creator because we're creatures, then we're obligated by sheer logic. We're obligated to our creator. It's irrefutable. It's undeniable. It's unchangeable. <coughs> Are you created or did you create yourself? The person who created themselves, raise your hand. All right, no one in this room. So if we're not the source of ourselves, then someone else is the source of us. And whoever that someone else is, we're obligated to them. Whether we like it or not, whether we choose to be obligated or, or yield to him or not, we still are obligated to him. It doesn't change that. Right? If you don't like the law of gravity, you will always yield to it, period, forever. And let, you know, yeah, so there it is. God actively sustains all creation. So the first one, we're obligated to our creators. Two, God actively sustains his creation. We're going to look at Bible verses on all of this. Three, God is not obligated to sustain a creature's holiness. Yet, a creature remains obligated to its creator. This is the one that's going, what are you talking about? Okay, we'll come, this is the one where it's going to start, well, wait a minute, then who's responsible? Wait a minute, Jeff. Okay, this is the one where people are going to start to go, Ugh. these two I think we can accept, God's actively sustaining his creation. But, bottom line is God obligated to his creation. Bottom line, is God obligated to his creation? And the answer is no. God is not obligated to give you or me anything. That's what grace and mercy is. Alright? Name one thing God owes you. You got up today because what? Because God allowed it. End of discussion. You're alive sitting in this room because God is allowing you to be here. Now for the Christian, we're going, mercy and grace! Boom! That's a great day! But it's also scary, right? Because as we as creatures are going, I'm in charge, God! What are you doing stinking up my day? Who do you think you are? Creator of the universe? Oh, He is creator of the universe. Alright? Let's get into these. All creation is obligated, indebted to its creator. We know this from the thing we already mentioned at the beginning. Our purpose is to love God. And where do we get that? From Matthew 22, 36-38. The great oblig- no, the great suggestion. The great choice. The great multiple choice. Is that what it says? It's the great command. And by definition, are you allowed to refuse a command? By definition of command, are you allowed to go, let me think about that. 
Nah. Are you allowed to do that? No. Matthew 22, 36-38. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? This is somebody asking Jesus. And Jesus said to him, You shall. Or does it say you could? You might want to think about it. You know? No, it says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So by nature, not only are we obligated to our Creator, we're obligated to love Him with all our being. Because all our being comes from who? Our Creator. Right? So by nature, this should be the top of our minds when we wake up and when we go to sleep. This is it. And Jesus says in another verse that all the law and the prophets hang off this command and the second, which is love your neighbor as yourself. But all the law and the prophets, 1,400 years of the collection of the writings, the whole, and 6,000 years of life on the earth, and its book is all about humans loving their Creator. Now, in one sense, well, that's pretty neat. God wants me to love Him. Is that so bad? He not only wants it, He demands it. But still, is that so bad? What's a a plan B that's better than loving your God with everything you have in you? Alright? Now, remember, it's not the great suggestion. It's not the great calling. It's not the great invitation. And it's certainly not the great choice. It is the commandment of your being. Now, it's amazing how our hearts want to retranslate command into something less. And I once showed you a verse uh, from a Facebook of a friend of mine who I said, this is the great commandment. And he's a Christian. I have no doubt he's going to heaven. I have no doubt he belongs to Christ. And he says, yeah, but I can choose to obey that. No, you can't by sheer definition. A commandments you cannot disobey by its command because it's a command. Are we holding on there? Now, number two, God is creator and sustainer of the universe. These verses I really love. They make me happy, and I hope they make you happy. Referring to Jesus, Hebrews chapter 1, 2 through 3. But in the last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So that would be God the Father, spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of how many things? Of some of the things? Of all things. Through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, hang in there, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Whoa! This is talking about Jesus, our Jesus! The King of kings and Lord of lords! Isn't this amazing? He's holding the universe together. He upholds it by the word of His power. And have you ever heard of laws of physics? 
Try to have somebody explain to you how evolution can explain the laws of physics. How does a law evolve? Can anyone tell me that? Right? Where did the law telling matter how to behave come from? How can it evolve? All right? It can't. We know where it comes from. The word of his power. And he upholds the universe. Here's a few more cool ones. Colossians 1, 15-17. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Do we all know, remember what the first recorded miracle of Jesus is? It's Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first recorded miracle of Jesus. And here it is backed up in Colossians chapter 1. And he, in him, talking about sustaining, in him all things hold together. This week I had a brochure. I came home Thursday and there was a brochure stuck in the door. A pamphlet of Jehovah Witnesses inviting me to church. It's like, man, if I was only here so I could read to them Colossians 1 because they don't believe Jesus is God. They attack the Trinity right off the bat. So I'd take them here in that last verse and say, hey, uh, you need to repent and ask Jesus Christ to save you from the hell you're most definitely going because you're a sick cult that was just invented in America 100 years ago. You freaks. You need Jesus. Right? Don't they? They need Jesus because they don't believe this. They don't believe this. And I say that in love. I do mean that in love. Alright, Revelations 4.11 Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created some of the things, no, all things, and by your will they existed and were created. By whose will do you exist? Is it by your will? Not according to Revelations. And by your will, God, they existed and were created. Don't you understand? At one point, we should be able to sit back like in an easy chair. God's holding it all. He's holding me together right now. Why is He loving me so much? That should be in our mind. And of course, there it is. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, we created ourselves because we are so great. Right? Is that what it says? No. God created the heavens and the earth. All right, God. This is the question I have for God. I've been wrestling with this for years. And we know evil's not a thing or an ability. So the, my question, my big beef was, how did the devil fall? Uh, I think I have a path. I think we can see clearly. I'm going to help you quickly run, because the real issue is how did the devil fall? And how did corruption enter the universe? Because what did God say on the seventh day after he created everything? He declared, it is good. So if he made a good universe, where did that pesky serpent come from in Genesis chapter 3? Or yeah, And what's he doing there? What's he bugging us for? 
Right? Let's look at that. First, we need to look at these three things. We as humans are already sinful. So where does evil come from for us? Uh, you could put us on an island without the internet and we would find evil to do with coconut and a palm tree. We would just corrupt whatever put in front of us. It's in us. And Jesus says, out of our heart, uh, out of our mouth reveals what's in our heart. And that's the evil that's in our heart and our soul. I'm going to show you Bible verses on that. But Adam and Eve, doesn't, they're not born with original sin like we are. Okay, so where did their evil come from? And their evil came from an outside source, and I'll show you that in a minute. But the devil did not begin in evil, but became evil. Well, well how? So let's follow this trail. First, humans. Humans, evil is an internal influence, and we see this in James chapter 1, 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully fully grown, brings forth the death. So in our heart is a desire to go, I like God's stuff, but I don't like God, so I'm going to take God's stuff without God. All right? What does that look like? If you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you're not married, and you want to enjoy the pleasures of what it would be to be married without being married, you want the good stuff of God without obeying God. Okay? You, you know God's plan? And you're like, forget God's plan. My plan of self-satisfaction is smarter and better than God's plan. Right? And that's what we do. That's the sinful nature. So we're enticed by our own evil desires. And the devil will go, you want some of that? And we're going to go, I think I do want some of that. Right? And that's what we do. Okay? And then it gives birth to sin, the action. And sin, when it's fully gr- grown, gives, brings forth to death. And I can't help but think of Hillary Clinton celebrating at the Democratic National Convention abortion. Yay! Murder those unborn babies! Yay! Sin, when fully grown, brings forth death. Not just the death of the individual, but the death of those around them. Alright? But what about Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve were in an awesome garden. They were buff, as in not clothed. The first marriage, God was the ordaining minister of this marriage, right? And he had, they had one command. Do anything, because anything they do was not sin. You, they, he put two people with no shame and no sin in a garden and said, there's nothing you can do that's sinful, but eat from that tree. Now listen very carefully to that. There's nothing Adam and Eve could have done that was sinful, bad, except eat from a tree. That's... Can, can you and I even conceive that? I can't. I can't go two seconds and go, no, and start to blush. Okay? What? 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 They... Do you understand the freedom they had? Okay? But, now the devil comes along and says, did God really say? And isn't that what the devil says to us? Isn't that what the TV challenges us? Isn't this what everyone else challenges us? Does the Bible really say that? And if so, can you really trust it? 
I mean, it's the Bible. What does the Bible know about sexuality? I mean, let's just put rainbows on everything, right? Because what does God know about marriage? Right? Matrimony, holy matrimony. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now keep in mind, if you listen to some of the Bible, um, the Bible apps like Bible.is, I highly encourage you all to download it and use it, Bible.is. But every time it's the devil or demons, they have a twisted voice. And especially this one, it's the devil's voice is like really slurred and digitized to sound evil, whatever evil sounds like, right? And he's, really sick. I don't think he was talking like that. I think he was talking clearly, concisely, and articulately, if that's a word. Did God actually say, Eve, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? He lied. He was lying in the first question. He already was throwing a curveball at Eve. So the point I want to make is this, is that the evil information to cause Adam and Eve to sin did not come from evil desires in their heart. There was no evil desire in their heart. They had a desire to be more like God, but it wasn't a desire to trump God. It wasn't a desire to overcome God. The information, everything was external in nature. All right? Even the deceit. That's what I want to get at. So for us, it's internal. For Adam and Eve, it was external. But what about the angels? Because we know one-third of the angels fell. Let's talk about angels. I'm going to suggest to you, aside from the devil, the angels were externally influenced. And here we have Revelations 12, 3 and 4. We know that a third of the angels fell. And here it is. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour her. And this is a prophecy symbolic of the devil waiting to get Jesus. The woman is Mary, the child is Jesus, and it's describing how he, when he was cast out of heaven, a third of the stars. So that's where people say a third of the angels fell. Okay? But even in that case, it wasn't all those angels going, hmm, I want to be bad like the devil over there. The devil went to them and said, literally, well, I'll show you what the devil said to them. Let's, here's what the scripture says. But first, I want to point out two other verses about why didn't more angels go with the devil? Okay? Second Peter 2.4 For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept for judgment. This is in part of a bigger truth, talking about false teachers. You do not want to be a false teacher claiming God is talking to you. right? And I heard from the Lord, if a minister gets up on that TV that you're watching and says, God told me to tell you, it's time to hit the mute button and pray for that minister's soul. All right? Because the only thing I can tell you is, hey, here's what the Bible says. Why don't you dig into it for yourself? I could be wrong. But here's what the Bible says. And you are accountable to God. 
right? So let me step out of the way, and you and God have a disagreement. Let's see how well that goes for you. You understand? Um, But God did not spare angels when they sinned. Why not more angels? We got that clue out of 1 Timothy 5.21. Paul's writing, In the presence of God and Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Here we get a clue that God even saved the angels. Oh, you're not going with the devil. No, no, no. You're, we got a job for you. You ain't falling for that dummy. You're staying. All right? That's elect means chosen, called out. That's where we get the word ecclesia. That's what the church means. The word church for the church means to be called out of. The world's a bunch of zombies. They're all being stupid and they're marching to hell and God is calling people out. He's pulling them out of the zombie march saying, Bing, you're alive. That's stupid. Let's go this way. And that's what he's doing. That's what ecclesia means. Now, the devil did not begin evil. So where did this evil come from? And last week it was mentioned that the devil was like, he was it. If there was an angel to go, whoa, it was the devil. So let's take a look at this. We get this from Ezekiel chapter 28. And in its context, Ezekiel is prophesying against the king of Tyre, or Tyre, however you'd like to pronounce it. But many times prophecy has a higher meaning. It has, always has a secondary meaning for the big picture, the meta-narrative. And here's where it is. This is where people get the idea of how the devil fell. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, they were prepared. So this dude is special. Verse 14, you, are, you were anointed a guardian cherub, I placed you. You are on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. This, many people believe, many scholars believe, is a prophecy of how the devil fell. Okay? Now, most of your ministers, this is where they stop. Well, you see, the devil was in the garden and pride was found in him and he fell. And then they stopped thinking. And that's where I get irritated. Excuse me, Mr. Minister. You just said, here's an angel created by God, an amazing angel who is blameless, full of wisdom, and hanging out in the throne room of God, his holy mountain, right? And all of a sudden, till unrighteousness was found in him. How does that happen? How can you be in the presence of God and then say, nah? Okay? And this is where most theologians and preachers stop. But I'm going to go to a place now where you don't have to like it and you don't have to agree with it. It's just out there for your thinking. 
How can a creature in full knowledge of its creator, in full community with its creator, become corrupt? That's the question. So here's the connection. Maybe not the right answer or the one you like, but here's what I'm going to try to give you. God is not obligated to sustain a creature's holiness or place of righteousness. But a creature remains obligated to full obedience to God always. So, in other words, God did not necessarily sustain the devil's holiness. Because we've got to keep in mind, as I mentioned at the beginning, God is sustaining all things at all times, right? And I'm going to allude to, in the end, even in heaven, we're not going to be able to sin. We're going to truly have a free will that will not be able to sin. When you're in your glorified bodies, there will not be a thought in your head that will be rebellious or sinful. So we know God's sustaining. God is not obligated to sustain your holiness. However, you are still obligated to 100% obedience. What do you think of that? But that means God has all the power and I don't. That's what that means. And that's where you may not like it. Paul foresaw this problem, and he's going to go right to it. How are we doing, by the way? I'm almost done. This is the, this is the apex of it. Are we still conscious? Holding on? Thank you. Thank you. Good to hear, because we're almost done. What brings us back to Romans 9, here is where we realize we have no power. Here is where we're forced to see that God holds all the cards. Here we see God is sovereign and we are not. Man, I want to be sovereign. I want to be all the power. He says this in verse 18 and 19. So then he has mercy on whom he, whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Paul knew, this is bracket, Paul knew people would not like the explanation he gave them and knew what the objection was going to be. If I'm just, if God's God and I'm not, how can God blame me? Because by very nature, you're obligated to your, crea- your creator. It's this, the, the day you become your own creator is the day you're not obligated to God no matter what. Now, let's do a heart check. Okay? Why don't we like God truly, truly being sovereign? Even over our hearts. Why don't we like that? We're afraid we're going to lose something that we think we have, but we really don't. It reveals the true intent of our evil hearts. We want the power over our own destiny. And no God, even the one that's allowing me to breathe this second, is going to stop me from where I want to go. Right? Isn't that it? We feel more safe thinking our own heart and our own virtue has earned us God's favor. Right? And of course, all of this is the antithesis of the gospel. Because in the gospel, we say, you can't earn your way to heaven. You've got to let Jesus forgive you. I don't want Jesus to forgive me. I'm going to earn it. You know why people aren't coming to church? Because they feel they have to clean themselves up before they come to church. That's the opposite of the gospel, isn't it? No, we want the messy people. Let God clean you up. You can't do it. 
right? But we think more safe if we can earn God's favor somehow. We feel safer thinking we have some power that God does not have. And at the end of the day, that's my heart, God! And I'll decide if you can have it or not. Now that's the equivalent of you going into your little kid's room. You made the kid, right? And there it is, messy room. You pick up your room and the little kid goes, No! The little kid has no authority to tell their parent, No. Right? What did that kid have that the parent didn't give him? The room, the mess, right? Everything's there. The kid's obligated to the parent and the kid goes, No. And that's what we do as humans. The truth is, the truth attacks the core of our sinful, rebellious nature. I don't want God to be that sovereign. I want to be that sovereign. And apart from justice, true fairness, I asked this question at the beginning, what does God owe you? Make a list of everything God owes you. Because you did it. Go! You made a universe today. Look at that, God. I didn't need you to make my own universe. Right? How many of us have got our corrective lenses on, right? Because our eyesight's so great, right? Did we make our eyesight? Well, we got corrective lenses. We can outdo you, God. We can fight the curse. I got feelings. I can fight the curse. Yeah, God, what do you think of that? Do you understand that's the heart of rebellion? <clears throat> I'm almost done. Thank you for your patience, boys and girls. <clears throat> Bottom line, at the end of the day, creatures are still, whether you like it or not, we're obligated to our Creator. Romans 9, 20 and 21. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? What Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of it the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Wait a minute. You're giving God some crazy power here, Paul. How can that even be in the Bible? I mean, God's love, right? Let's look at this. Romans 9, 22 through 24. What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power has endured with much patient vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. What? In order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy. And how do we define mercy? God not giving us what we deserve, what He owes us which He has prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. That's giving God too much power. But that means God's really in control of everything. Even the bad people. Yeah, God's in control of the bad people. There ain't, God is never going, Oh no, the bad person got away. I wasn't thinking of that. God never responds that way to bad people. At the end of the day, however, the call to action is still the same. What we pursue today revealed that God is even bigger and bigger, and He is so powerful. He's so powerful that God is even omnipotent. That means He's all-powerful. 
Alright, so it would be very wise of us, even as Christians growing in Jesus, to continually repent. A lot of times this is used in the one time, come to Christ, be saved. But for the Christian, this is called sanctification, where we continually repent. Throwing yourselves at the feet of Jesus, begging Him to save you from your evil ways. As a Christian, we can still pray that. Oh, Lord, I'm just so stupid. My sin is still causing me to not obey that command to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. All right? But that's what we're commanded to do. The answer is still the same. We're to run to God. And here it is. Acts three nineteen through 20. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins with your hard work might be temporarily put on the pencil line versus the pen line. Is that what it says? That your sins may be blotted out. Do you want God to remember your sins? No. No way! Right! God will blot them out. Your evil. God will say... What evil? I don't see no evil. That's, hey! Alright, that's the right response. And that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. What do you think of that? So we end here. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no name under heaven given to men by which they may be saved... And no, here is the last slide. Here we go. In the beginning, in the end, in the beginning, God will sustain your holiness and you will not be able to sin anymore. Here's the promise from Revelations 21. This is what a free will looks like right here. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And that's what I'm looking forward to, is to... This is also called the Sabbath rest. This is no more working for your salvation. And when we get to heaven, every day is a Saturday. Every day is the best day. And it only gets better, and it lasts forever. Now, come on. Is that not the ultimate fulfillment of the Great Commandment? I'll take two, please. Right? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for these saints who were brave enough to follow me into the realm of your complete sovereignty for a while. And I pray that this would encourage them to trust you, because quite frankly, we have no choice but to trust you, so we might as well acknowledge that we trust you and love you and just enjoy your sweet mercy and grace all the time. I can say no more. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. There's some food for thought. Please visit thespeakandeacon.com and get connected to the growing number of social media Christians. Thespeakandeacon.com. Truth is here.